In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Among men born of women, says our Lord, none has arisen greater than John the Baptist. And yet, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. These are the words which Holy Mother Church sings in the office today, this evening, the office of Vespers, in praise of this great saint whose nativity we celebrate today. We all know, of course, that we celebrate the nativity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that of His Holy Mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Both of those feasts are celebrated in white, as is the feast today. For besides Jesus and Mary, John the Baptist is the only saint whose nativity we celebrate. In respect for the tradition, that he was sanctified already in his mother's womb. In the words foretold by Jeremiah the prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I sanctified you. John the Baptist is a saint whose name figures three times in the Holy Mass. And today, as we have the joy of celebrating his feast on a Sunday, thus solemnizing in a way is not normally possible for us, giving us time to reflect on the greatness of this saint, I would invite you to meditate for a moment this morning on this threefold appearance of St. John the Baptist in the Holy Mass. For we are told of him three times in the Mass. At the beginning of Mass, at the prayers at the foot of the altar, in the Confiteor. Then, in the canon of the Mass, shortly after the consecration, mentioned among the martyrs. And finally, during the last gospel. We are invited then, in reflecting on this sainted holy mass, to meditate on John the Baptist and his call to conversion, John the Baptist and his zeal for the truth, John the Baptist as the saint of humility. We are first greeted by John the Baptist in the Mass, as I say, during the Confidior. We confess to Almighty God, to Blessed Mary Ever-Virgin, Blessed Michael the Archangel, to Blessed John the Baptist. And 
In the Gospel, John the Baptist first greets us in this way, by crying out as that lone voice in the wilderness, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he warns us especially against false conversion. For as he begins his ministry of penance, he is approached by those whom he knows to be hypocrites and cries out, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of penance. And say not that you have Abraham as your father. For God can raise up of these stones children of Abraham. It is though he says to us today, say not, we belong to the true church and it is enough. To belong to the true church by baptism is not enough, any more than it was for the Pharisees who came to the baptism of penance at the Jordan. We must belong to the true church not just by faith, but by charity. You have come to Mass today, but your arrival at the altar rail will not be acceptable to God if your heart is unclean and you harbor hatred for your brother. Repent then, for the kingdom of heaven is surely at hand. It was foretold by John the Baptist, but it reigns now here on earth. For the kingdom of heaven is nothing else than that true church to which we belong now as the church militant. John the Baptist appears to us again in the Mass after the consecration among 15 illustrious martyrs. As you know, we will celebrate a feast of John the Baptist again at the end of the summer, on August 29th. And then we will celebrate it in red, for it will be the feast of the beheading of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is often held up in our day as the pro-life saint. Surely pro-lifers could choose no better saint than this one. And of course we think first of all of the fact that those words of the prophet are applied to John the Baptist. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. These are the words we find outside on our own pro-life memorial. This is what we think of first of all. But we must not forget that John the Baptist is a pro-life martyr. For he was a martyr for the cause of true marriage. The modern pro-life movement in the Church began 
to a large degree with an encyclical which we do not think on often enough. I am not referring to Humane Vitae, but rather to the encyclical Casti Canubii of Pope Pius XI. Although he addresses there all of the pressing issues of the pro-life movement, nevertheless the encyclical is entitled not human life, but chaste wedlock. For this is where it all begins. If our society were founded on true and holy marriages, we would have no need for a pro-life movement. The fact that we are battling so hard to protect the life of the unborn shows that sadly we are in the, in the midst of a rear guard action. And as we fear the rear guard action of an army in retreat and perhaps in defeat. It is though to say, yes, we know we have lost the battle on what really matters, that chastity be observed by all persons, that people enter into holy marriages or otherwise pursue another vocation, but above all, not give in to life ruled by the passion. We know this battle is lost. We know that people now no longer observe the law of God and have nothing but contempt for marriage, which is why they want any sort of union to be labeled marriage. But at the very least, please, do not let the sins of adults be taken out on poor and defenseless unborn children. St. John the Baptist then was a martyr for true marriage, for he laid down his life because he refused to bend to the authority of the state and dared to criticize the king of his time for being in an unholy union. It is worth reflecting that other martyrs we venerate at this time of year, Thomas More and John Fisher, also in the end laid down their life for this very same cause. As St. Thomas More said at the moment of his condemnation, it is not for the church supremacy that you have sought my blood, but because I would not bend to the marriage. John the Baptist then stands before us as a model of zeal for the truth and for the whole truth, even with the suffering that it brings. Finally, though, we reflect on John the Baptist as we find him in the last gospel of the Mass. There was a man, he said, sent from God whose name was John. And St. John the Evangelist 
is careful to tell us he was not the light. He came to bear witness to the light. The interpretation of this passage is given to us by none other than John the Baptist himself, who says two chapters later in this same Gospel, almost as though he was explaining this very opening passage, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now full. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist is presented before us as the saint of humility, the saint who provides for us the remedy for all pride, envy, and resentment. Modern interpreters of the Gospel are often at a loss to explain the passage which we hear on the second Sunday of Advent. We are told that John is in chains and he sends his disciples to Christ to ask him, Art thou he who is to come, or look we for another? Most modern interpreters say that either John is suffering from depression or doubt, or after all his work of preaching, he is growing a little bit impatient. I would like to suggest to you, in union with the fathers of the Church, that neither of these explanations is correct, but nevertheless it is useful to think about them for a moment, for it shows how we apply our own sins and faults to the life of this saint. For we suppose, quite rightly, that were we in his place, that would be our reaction. We would be suffering from depression or doubt if we were in prison after fulfilling our mission and bearing witness to the truth. Or perhaps we would be growing somewhat impatient. We would be thinking, I have done all that I was sent to do. God told me to be zealous. He told me to be generous. He told me to bear witness to the truth no matter what the cost. I've done my duty according to my state of life. Why then is God not fulfilling his part of the bargain? I affirm without hesitation that all those thoughts were far from the mind of our holy saints. This passage is best explained by the fathers who recall, first of all, that John could have had no doubt about the identity of Christ. We have already been told that he leapt for joy in the womb at the approach of the Savior. He who knew Christ from the womb should have no trouble knowing him 
from prison. Nevertheless, this passage is presented to us to show the sins and doubts of John's followers, many of whom were indeed somewhat disappointed at the figure of this Messiah, hoping for something far more grandiose, a military leader, a political leader, someone who would truly vindicate their rights before the world. John, knowing their pessimism, knowing their impatience, rather than trying to assuage their fears himself, for he knew it would do no good, simply sends them to Christ with that question, to which Christ gives the response, pointing out his miracles, and then saying to them, Blessed is he who is not scandalized in me. This whole passage is presented to us to remind us that we should turn to John the Baptist in our prayers when we seek a remedy for our pride, our resentment, our envy, and our impatience. At every moment of our life, when we can say at the end of the day that we have done good, that after prayerful consideration we have done all we can to fulfill our duties, we must say with John the Baptist, we rejoice not in our own good, we rejoice rather in the good of the bridegroom being united to his bride. We rejoice that Christ, the true bridegroom, is united to his spouse, his mystical body, the Church. And in all our good works, we should make our own the words of this holy saint, He must increase, and I must decrease. For among men born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist, and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Some pious writers have even understood this passage of St. Joseph. St. Joseph fingers prominently at the beginning of the Gospel, but we cannot say that Joseph is particularly extolled or held up for us as a saint in the Gospel. And indeed, St. Joseph had to wait over 1,500 years to find his feast on the universal calendar. He was a quiet, and now from our perspective, looking back, almost a forgotten saint. And yet Joseph represents all those who quietly belong to the new and eternal covenant. It was not Joseph's task to proclaim the coming of the kingdom, to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, but it was his task to hold the eternal word in his loving arms. So too, it is our task to belong simply and humbly to this new and eternal covenant, to the Holy Church which Christ has founded, 
and to receive him quietly and lovingly in Holy Communion, at all moments remembering he must increase and I must decrease. St. John the Baptist, patron of repentance, zeal, and humility, pray for us.